Hi, everyone. Welcome to Waste 360's Nothing Wasted podcast. On every episode, we invite the most interesting people in waste, recycling, and organics to sit down with us and chat candidly about their thoughts, their work, this unique industry, and so much more. So thanks for listening and enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. This is Liz Bothwell from Waste 360 with Sarah Womer, founder of zero to go and sustainability consultant at Great Forest. Welcome, Sarah, and thank you for being here. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I would love to hear a bit about your background and how you ended up here and what sparked your initial passion for sustainability. Hmm. This is a bit of a long story because I wasn't the entrepreneur who set out with a vision for a business. I wanted to solve a problem. And I live in a small town in upstate New York. Um, It's kind of the greater metro New York area. It's on the train line. And I grew up north of here in Hyde Park. And I saw when, when I finished college, I did AmeriCorps in Colorado. And then I came back and I saw that friends and family were having trouble with understanding where to get rid of electronics responsibly. I started digging to find the answers and I connected people to the hazardous waste cleanup days um, that happened eight times a year in the county. And I loved having the solution and I loved helping people get their stuff there. And um, I did a very circuitous uh, like path to get to where I am now, but I ended up um, falling in love with understanding where materials go and helping people. And I started doing my own e-waste drives in Beacon um, where I live. And then um, that, as some listeners may know, got challenging because of the CRT issue and just the e-waste industry changed so much. This was back in like 2012, 2011, when it was still, there were drives everywhere. We were able to collect over 90,000 tons of e-waste through four events in Beacon alone. Um, And I thought it was fabulous. And I think that every city Every town needs to have a solution for e-waste and hard to recycle materials. And I was just hooked. Um, Around that time, I also became involved with this organization that's no longer, um, that was uh, like a materials reuse warehouse. And I started getting them these big truckloads full of styrofoam that were coming from Art Foundry where I was working at the time. Um, They could use that those foam blocks for packing, um, for shipping. Like people could come and buy, you know, for almost nothing, um, or maybe it was free. All this styrofoam blocks. So that was really the thing that got me so excited because by then I knew a little bit more about styrofoam and how bad it was for the environment. Styrofoam became my thing. I started going and giving talks at the Rotary Club about why styrofoam was bad. Um, And then I got together with some friends and we tried to get styrofoam out of Beacon where we live. And our first organization was called Styro Free Beacon. And we went to different restaurants and um, tried to convince them to do the switch. But at that time, paper cups were, you know, at least 10 cents per and a foam cup was a penny per so it was a really hard sell for a lot of businesses and I, you know, reached another kind of like a dead end. So first it was e-waste, then it was the foam. And then I realized that there was more to be done because I was still talking to people about e-waste and materials and what to do with this and that. And I saw that our town had about 20 to 30 events, public events every year that brought in all kinds of people from all over. There was the dog parade that was particularly gross because we just have 
garbage cans on Main Street in Beacon, which is a mile long. It's a lovely little tourist destination, small town, um, and it would just get trashed on these festival days. And I was so disgusted that we weren't recycling. Um, so I started volunteering to separate the recyclables out. And gosh, I, this is such a long story, but I ended oh, no, up... this is great. <laughs> good. I ended up developing my own garbage cans. And after you know begging friends to let me do their events... I started get charging to be at the events and handle recycling. Then I realized I had a business on my hands. That that was the moment I was like, yes, now we're off to the races. Um, so I started, you know, bringing friends in and paying them um, and then just getting, you know, contracts here and there to do events. And um, I did events for about two years before I realized that composting is like the next frontier. Like we have to be composting in our events. So I found it was really hard to find a hauler that would take compost. We would organize our events like around, like every event is completely custom. So there might be a field where we are for six hours um, at a beer festival. There might be like a conference room or a wedding. Um, the events really range. So um, depends on how much compost we would generate, who could handle it. But um, per, oh, I could talk so much about compost and events and how complicated it is. But we found a hauler to handle our biggest event. Um, to, to date, it's still the biggest. It was a beer festival in Peekskill that brought in 5,000 people for an all-day beer fest. And there's only uh, six bags of trash generated from an all-day event. And we had 120 bags of compost. It was amazing. Um, they use compostable cups. Now, in retrospect, it would have been great if they used reusable glass cups. Uh, we would have avoided a massive waste stream. But um, I got CRP sanitation on board with hauling it to Kingston, which is the nearest facility to us, about 35 miles away. And then the seed was planted in their mind that they want to start composting too. So fast forward to five years later, they're about to open their their facility in Westchester for compost. And they, they always say, oh, thanks to you, you know, because I was telling them this is the future of waste management. You guys are a hauling company and you do garbage and recycling, but have you really thought about compost? Because this is, you know, the direction we need to go as a society. So in the midst of all that, I just wanted to do it all. I'm very like hands-on, get it done kind of person. And I launched a Kickstarter and I got $20,000 together in about two and a half weeks to launch a compost pickup program in Beacon. And at the time I was dating somebody who owned a bike shop and I helped him run the bike shop as well. And he really convinced me that we should be doing this with cargo bikes in town because Beacon is only five miles square. You know, I, I brought the bikes the two different events and we would you know use the bike to haul full bags of compost trash and recycling from our zero waste stations where educators were telling the public about you know your cup goes here and, and so on to the staging like area or dumpster area and the bike is just captivates everybody's imagination and attention it's a fabulous expo of what is possible. It doesn't need to be a truck that handles waste. It can be a bike. It could be several bikes. Um, and I look to pedal people in Northampton, Mass, uh, as my major inspiration. Um, you, have you heard of them? They've been hauling waste for 30 years on bikes. Wow. No, I haven't. Everything. They do garbage, recycling, compost, and they help you move out of your apartment. They are just the coolest <laughs> ever. <laughs> that is very cool. Oh, yes. I, I was so smitten. So we started p picking up compost in town, even from businesses. And um, I just quickly realized that the bike, even with a trailer attached, um, we have an electric assist motor. Let me, let me say that. 
um, to help us haul massive weights. So the bike can do a thousand pounds of material and that is quite a lot, but if you're picking up from a restaurant, it's just like not even enough. Um, we'd have to make multiple trips to restaurants to pick up, you know, two or three toters and then bring them back two, three clean ones. We lost money on the endeavor, um, because we were doing business and residence. So currently the business is doing a a mix of the bike and like a gasoline powered, you know, vehicle with a trailer attached. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was wonderful, you know, to, to try that. That's amazing. And so I have to ask, last I read that you diverted nearly 60 tons of organic waste through your zero to go program keeping them from the landfills or incineration. I mean, that is just unbelievable. Oh, thank you so much. It's a lot of hard work and that includes our events and restaurants um, and our residential program and a compost drop-off at the farmer's market. Um, it's it's an amazing passion project. I, I will not say that it is like a super thriving um, business that's growing. It, it's, it was hard. I was, I did, do not have a business degree. I did not set this up very uh, beautifully <laughs> and doing it with my own car and the trike. Um, you know, we've, I've, I could write a book about what not to do in business, sure. but I also am so proud of what we've accomplished. And um, that Kickstarter it was mostly all people in Beacon donating to make a compost pickup program a reality here in this town. I just am thrilled that it is going to continue. Um, so currently I'm in the process of separating from the company and my partner is going to take over. And um, the compost pickup run is going to go to our partner company who actually has facility. And that was one of the hardest parts too, is we were doing our events. We launched the Kickstarter. We started a compost program. And the plan was always to have our own facility in town. And I believe that every community needs to have an answer for organics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just really difficult to do. It's, it was nearly impossible for me to wrap my head around launching something like that while I was running the business. So we don't have a facility in town. The nearest one is still 30 plus miles away. Um, so our partner company has their own facility. Um, they're also a small woman-owned company and we just love them. We've been partnering with them for years. I feel really good knowing that they can you know, create beautiful compost from the food scraps and then they turn it and sell it. And it's, that's the way, it, you know, it was meant to be. And that's yes. what I always wanted for, for my company and also for every town that's doing a compost program. It's not okay that material is going to go so far away. Um, we need more infrastructure and we needed it yesterday. So yes. I'd really love to turn my attention to developing, um, you know, bigger solutions and helping push policy. Good for you. I mean, and not to take away from what you've already accomplished, but I see what your bigger goal is and it's impressive. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Now, what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs who want to start their own program like this? Sounds like you've learned a lot of lessons along the way. I really have. I would say, um, even though it's really difficult to get the help you need to develop a strong business plan, take the time to do it before you get too excited and launch. Um, there's a lot of other small community-based compost companies out there um, throughout the U.S., and it's definitely worth talking to them and seeing if you can you know, share numbers, not the whole business plan, but really get a, a clear understanding of what it means um, because you're about to work super, super hard for very little for a long time. And <laughs> if you can have like your vision 
on a bigger goal for yourself and, you know, know that when you hit X number of customers, you're going to be at break even. And then when you get to, you know, another 30 more, now you're in the profit zone and, you know, just really gearing yourself up towards that and making sure that you have everything you could possibly need in place as best as you can. So a marketing team, just, you know, one person on social media, you know, five hours a week, um, you, you can't skimp on certain things to sure. get to your goal. And that's what I learned. And, you know, we, we did do some of it, but um, because we were running, we were basically having three different businesses happening all at once, the events, the compost program, and we were also maintaining a park. It was a oh, wow. heck of a lot for one person. And then I brought my partner on board. It was a heck of a lot for two of us. <laughs> and we both work full-time jobs um, in addition to running the company. Unfortunately, I've kind of reached a point where I'm I'm a little tired and burned out. Sure. It's been eight years and making money and supporting yourself is actually one of the most important things. And anybody who's been to business school will tell you that, but I have a literature degree. So I didn't really, <laughs> I'm just a total dreamer over here. I'm a dreamer and a doer. And um, <laughs> I wish I'd taken a little bit more time to talk to the folks who really steeped in the business knowledge, but it's, it's great. I think that it, now is the time for innovative solutions. And it, it has been for the last, you know, five years or more. Um, we need small companies to come out and fill in the gaps and create the infrastructure. We can't wait for our our county, our state to develop action plans around creating infrastructure. Um, and we can't wait for them to help the public understand how to recycle. Um, if you know you can do it, just start doing it. If that's what you're passionate about, don't wait around because we've been waiting in the Northeast for a long time for certain things to progress and it's just not. So right. how I feel about it. Okay. That's great advice. You had great success with consumer education around waste and recycling. What do you think what made it so successful? What did you do that was so different? When it comes to education, I always believed in the hands-on approach where people could physically see and touch the products and understand where they're supposed to go. So the the famous Clearwater Festival to celebrate and protect the Hudson River is where I learned and got my inspiration to do zero waste events. And I saw volunteers standing behind zero waste stations, helping people who just had a, a lovely lunch at like the food pavilion understand where their um, hot dog boat would go and where their napkin goes and the, where their fork goes. And people are so confused, intimidated, overwhelmed by choices around trash. And I've seen it thousands of times in my years of standing behind zero waste stations. And for me, I disarmed that by standing there and being really friendly. And my staff has always been really kind and friendly and open and saying, hey, it's okay. Like, let me help you. I'll tell you why this is a compostable cup. And then just, you know, these are everyday items that people hold and touch all the time. But to actually take a second to understand where it goes um, is transformative. And they don't have a choice. When we do an event, all the other garbage cans are gone. So they have to come talk to a zero waste educator. And I found that to be, you know, so powerful. I also, I also gave tours at a recycling plant here in Beacon, um, which is now Republic Recycling. And People would come in with physical examples of, you know, what do I do with this black plastic potting uh, pot that I got from the nursery? And, you know, just having examples and showing people, it really takes the intimidation away and it helps connect people to their waste and they're making better waste choices because they've actually connected with the material. In our culture, it's really disposable 
out of sight, out of mind as quick as possible. Don't want to think about it. So anything I could do to like slow people down and like have that conversation I found to be so important and really helpful. And people still come up to to me and my team all the time and say, you know, now I know. And because of you, I started composting at home. And not not everybody is great like that, but a lot of people are really blown away and and learned something. Oh, I bet. That's fantastic. And then it has a lasting effect, right? It's not just that one event. They're thinking about this at home and at another event and um, it's a trickle down effect. Yeah, I really hope so. And I do think that's true. So you must love the recent media attention around food waste and the EPA's 2030 food loss and, and waste reduction goal. Do you think it's having a positive effect on behavior and policy? I think it's really exciting and it is so welcome to see this um, legislation be announced last week. I think that the attention is great. Um, We have a long way to go. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that it's really challenging to develop compost infrastructure. I wish it was easier. Um, I've I've chatted with my county recycling coordinator and I can just see that, you know, money is the one of the biggest issues. And of course there's NIMBYism. Our country is so divided right now. And I think it, it has been for some time. Of course, it is an electric time to talk about waste issues. There's so many incredibly important things going on, but I, I am heartened to see that you know, the plastic bag ban is happening in New York. There's there's a lot to be said and done, but I think that we have to be paying attention and advocate for things that actually really do make sense. Um, I'm trying to remember um, the, the the folks I mentioned before in Peekskill who are opening their own uh, compost facility. Uh-huh. Uh, they're feeling kind of like the legislation that was announced at the state level is not really adequate and they want to push to make it a little bit stronger. The loophole is that I th- correct me if I'm wrong. I think it says that if you're within a 25 mile radius of, of a compost facility, you can compost. But if you're outside of that 25 mile radius and there's no facility, um, you're exempted. So this compost spot is in Westchester. Right now, we're driving so far for our, to bring our garbage to the landfill. We're driving so far to bring compost to compost facilities. They just don't exist. So right. to, you know, to limit our radius and say that, you know, it's got to be within 25 miles is short-sighted because we just don't have the facilities yet. Right. Um, we really need to focus on, you know, making that make sense before we be so stringent about it. Your work seems to extend to marine debris as well. Uh, it really is astonishing to hear that by 2050, there could be more plastic than fish by weight. Is your work with the Plastic Free Waters Way or Waterways Partnership aiming to combat this? Yes, that group is just really inspiring and the people who are involved are incredibly smart and they work for organizations that are devoted to protecting them. The power is that the group has working groups within. So we've got a group that focuses on plastic bags, straws, balloons, styrofoam. There's like eight working groups and they are coming together to try to push initiatives forward. And it's just focused on New York and New Jersey. And these are, you know, major metro areas. And there are, if you think about how many plastics experts and water conservation organizations are there, it is, it's amazing. And we bring in speakers. Um, We have four large partnership meetings a year and we have speakers come and they talk about their work around reducing plastic from getting into our, our waterways. Um, and it's it's really exciting to hear about the innovative 
technologies that are coming coming out. There's a lot of work to be done, and you know, there's there's arguments for every which way. I'm sure everybody's heard of Boyan Slat and his ocean uh, cleanup program, and some people are really critical. And you know, he says, "Look, I'm going to try to do what I can to get plastics out of our waterways, but we need people to be working on reduction as well." Um, he says this because people are like, "Well, you can't get all the plastics out of the water," and he's like. I know. <laughs> I'm going to do as best as I can to get, do what I can on this. And we really need, we need everyone to be working on this puzzle from every different corner. Um, and reduction is is key. And I think that now that this plastic bag legislation is um, being talked about and is happening, reduction is finally getting to be like more top of mind for people. Yes. So now you work with clients on the implementation of uh, sustainable waste management programs. Could you give us a concrete example of how how you've helped a client do that? I mean, you don't have to mention names or anything, but just to give us an idea of how you've taken sort of your sustainable waste management principles and helped a client see their vision through. Oh, sure. This work is so exciting for me. Um, whenever there's a lot of material being produced, it often means there's a lot of waste associated with it. And because I am honestly just totally obsessed with like waste and like <laughs> this is my whole career in my world, I'm really intrigued when there's hard to recycle items. And I've got my sites set on breweries right now. And I have a oh. client who's a, and they all have the same material. They all have spent grain. They all have to buy grain, which comes in bags. Um, they all have hops. They all have malt. They all have you know, the, the same materials, they've got pallets, um, and it's a list of probably like, you know, 20 things that are in huge volumes. Um, so I've been working with a brewery to help them develop a slightly different system than what they were currently doing. Most most breweries are doing garbage recycling and they're composting the spent grain, but I introduced a pallet wrap recycling program to their uh, team, and now they're diverting a huge amount of plastic film wrap, um, and they're bringing it to the local grocery store store for recycling. Um, same with another client I have, which is in beverage production. I worked with them for about a year and a half and they have a small garbage dumpster. It's like a one, it's a two yard garbage dumpster. And then they've got a six yard recycling dumpster. And then they have all of their pallet wrap going out to recycling at the local store. And the kind of money that they are saving by doing this work it pays for itself, um, you know, just the small amount of staff time it takes to bring this material to uh, the store and, you know, the time it takes to bag that up. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. And if you think about facilities that are, you know, over 10,000 square feet and have pallet wrap, it's huge. But of course, reduction is key. So the brewery I was just talking about, they switched to reusable uh, pallet wrap, which is basically like a canvas and Velcro little system. And they personalized it with their logo and it looks great. And it's perfect for them to bring their um, cans of beer in and out of their walk-in just as they produce it. Instead of using pallet wrap, um, it's fast and it's easy and it's, you know, $120 and it just pays for itself within a few, you know, a few weeks, depending on the size of the brewery. So Amazing. that kind of stuff is awesome for me. I, I love, I love a challenge and I, I, I just, I think that there's just so much great work to be done around, you know, production facilities. So that's where my site, my sites are set now is to assist breweries and um, large scale like production facilities and get them composting and, and divert this stuff. That's pretty easy to divert. It just takes a little bit of a tweak to their current system. That's great. And it, it's an instant impact. And then they see that it's a cost savings. So it's a win-win, really. 
It is, especially if you can help them understand how much money is being saved. It's yeah, totally a win-win. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Good for you. And then uh, what are some of the lessons learned in working with municipalities to implement programs like the one you've done? I'm sure you've honed a lot of your collaboration skills and your negotiation skills. So I would love to hear a little bit about that. That is such an interesting question. Um, and it's interesting to hear your perspective on it because actually what I did was I I circumvented working with my municipality by starting my own for-profit company and collecting compost. And I don't have to deal with anything at the city level. Wow. Now, in retrospect, what I should have done is I should have gone to city council all the time, like every month and talked about what we're doing with the compost, why we need a facility here, um, and really advocated to make it part of the municipal program. Now, we did approach the city um, and and several council members with the idea that if residents are composting, they should have a reduction in their taxes but because they're diverting at least 30% of their solid waste from the landfill to compost. And they are paying out of pocket to do it. And it's not that affordable for everybody. That's it's just really, um, our profit model is, is really, it's hard. So it's $35 a month to compost uh, with us in the monthly compost pickup program. But, you know, people are just paying that because they they know it's the future and it's the right thing to do. Right. And I really deeply, deeply appreciate all of those people who are customers and care to that level. Um, my vision was for them to get a tax break or in a certain amount of time for this program to be a municipal program and rolled out to everybody as part of the tax base. Um, that is something that I wish were a bit easier. Um, uh-huh. City is not that progressive when it comes to environmental issues, and I did not push that hard on it because I just couldn't. So, yeah, that that's interesting. So now, currently, um, we're going to be transitioning the program to another private company that has you know trucks, employees, and a facility, and that's perfect. But I did try to get a facility in town. Um, I put in a bid three different times on a piece of land. Um, with uh, several other organizations that wanted the land for agricultural purposes. And um, it's just, it's taking forever. It's taken probably like six years. And I still don't know if this RFP has been accepted. So if it does get accepted, we could have a facility in town, which would be amazing. But but Um, I've seen other municipalities take on composting and make it part of their, you know, their their city's initiative. And I think that's, that's amazing. Well, keep us posted if that ends up coming through. You never know. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you never know. It could be. <laughs> so what else should we be paying attention to in the world of waste recycling and organics? What do you think is the next frontier? Well, as recycling is, you know, the, the market is, um, I, I, I don't feel particularly equipped to talk about the market and what's exactly happening. Um, but I know that we're in a, a challenging spot. I know there's turmoil. I know that the market um, doesn't exist for certain materials like it once did. Um, and companies are scrambling to yes. try to find outlets. Um, and I think that education around what's recyclable and the cleanliness of the materials is super important. And I can't really understand why cities and haulers aren't making more of an effort um, to make people aware of what 
needs to get recycled and how to do it right. Um, some of them are, some of them aren't. A town nearby is switching back to dual stream, which has been proven is a lot cleaner than single stream, which is what we have here. Um, single stream just can be great, um, but it definitely brings in a lot of uh, wish cycling Yes. And I think haulers and the public um, should be paying attention. And I, I love the idea of the whoop stickers, haulers taking a look, making sure that the material is right. And if it's not leaving a tag, because people just don't know what's recyclable. And that's the thing that I've learned in my 10 years of work around recycling is there's a lot of confusion. Yes. Um, everywhere you go, people are just not that clear. They don't feel like they were told um, clearly. Flyers are not that good um this isn't what we do at school it's not what we do at work and we're not doing it at home because it's not part of our culture and i see it i see it over and over and um i think that makes everything so much harder and the whoop stickers i mean i know it costs time and money to actually get something like that happening but um i look at cities like you know seattle um one of my favorite groups is uh, Cascadia Consulting, and they're doing a project right now um, with getting whoop stickers out. And I think that I think it's amazing. I would love to see that because it's one, it's such a direct way for consumers to understand their trash and recycling choices and and what's right and what's wrong. Right now, people are just so disconnected, and um, there's not enough time or money in the world for you know haulers to stop everything they're doing and, and do that education. But there, we have to keep trying and so many little ways wherever we can. Right. I agree. So what's next for you? I know you have lofty goals about helping big businesses practice more sustainable waste management principles, but what what are you hoping for for yourself? I have a lot to say about that. Um, my hope is that I can work with people who really know a lot about data and why recycling works and why it doesn't work. Um, I, I really want to be a part of a team of experts who are experienced and they can help bring recycling and composting to the next level. Um, and uh, I don't really want to do it on my own. I am doing a bit of consulting on, on my own. Um, and I do work with Great Forest in the city and they're they're great. Um, but I, I still really, my dream is to walk through giant warehouses full of production happening and look in every garbage and recycle can and understand their waste and then develop programs to make it less. I would love to fly all over the world and all over the country to start with a group of people who are working on projects to help big scale businesses lesson there. So cool. Um, oh, good for you. And your passion is contagious. So I know you're going to continue to do great things. Yeah. Thank you. I, no matter what I do, um, I'm always going to be involved in, in waste management. I, I think, I mean, that is definitely where my passion is. And I think that there's a lot more to be done and there's just, there's so many smart people, um, like, you know, the recycling partnership, um, Rubicon Global. I mean, I mean, there's so many good things happening right now and, um, it's an exciting time to be in the industry. So what keeps you busy outside of your work other than baking the best chocolate chip cookies on the oh. planet? <laughs> That is my thing. I love baking. I try to like bake something at least, oh gosh, like once a week. Um, I, I love riding my bike. Um, that is totally a thing that I enjoy um, getting out and just doing, breathing the fresh air and, and riding and challenging myself and traveling. I'm looking forward to doing a bit of traveling this spring. And um, I get to go to Germany 
after I go to the Waste Expo and study the circular economy with a group of 14 other people who are really interested in waste and upcycling and closed loop systems. So I'm thrilled to be doing that. Oh, that sounds amazing. Good. Well, how can listeners hear more from you, Sarah? Do you want to share your Twitter handle or website or anything? Oh my gosh. Um, actually that's, there isn't a great way. Um, Facebook, follow, find me on Facebook, uh, Sarah Wilmer. There's a couple of us out there, but you'll probably be able to tell it's me because I'm just posting definitely about garbage and recycling. <laughs> that's probably the best way to find me. And um, in the coming months, I'll probably announce a new website. And Okay. Sounds great. Well, we can't wait to see what comes next for you. And we appreciate all you've done for the planet so far. So this has been so fun. Thanks for talking with us. And we will see you at Waste Expo. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Okay. Thanks, Sarah.